to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. I almost did the intro to The Greatest Discovery just there out of instinct because we have I don't think we've recorded The Greatest Generation in over a month. Yeah, it's been a while. We built a ton of runway so that we could go on tour. The dust is settling for the most part on that tour. We landed the tour airplane. <laughs> and now we're back to it. But uh, yeah, it's been a long time. Imperceptible gap to the people that listen. That imperceptible gap, though, <laughs> is what people are saying about the greatest generation while we're out on tour. Mm-hmm. Not something anyone has ever said about my front teeth, but <laughs> <laughs> that gap is perceptible as hell. Oh, man. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't even see it. I think you look great. <laughs> there was a time where it was like a real thing for like a model to have a gap in her two front teeth. Those were my salad days. That's what you modeled yourself after? Yeah, you gave yourself that gap and a beauty mark. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things you did. I was just trying to get my modeling career up and running, and it just fucking never never worked for me. Yeah, you pivoted into feet. Yeah. You yeah. never looked back. The hands and face boys don't understand the kind of pressure us footmen are under. It's true. <laughs> Hold on. I just I think I just heard somebody touching my garage door. I want to go double check that that's hey. not happening. I don't know what that was. I thought for a moment this might devolve into the beginning of a horror film. <laughs> yeah. Because we're looking at each other during on the Slack video. Yeah. And and you thought you had heard something at your garage. And I thought for a moment, like I got really nervous that you were going to go off camera. Right. And I was going to hear your screams. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I would have to do the show with some new host. Right. Yeah. Because that's the rule. That is the rule. When uh, you kill a podcaster, you get to take their show and host <laughs> it for them. Yeah. Rob Schulte like walked over from his place and... <laughs> Came in and... Is that who suspect number one would be? (laughs) (laughs) Turning fake true crime into true true crime? This would be like um, one of those horror movies that was shot and released in the early days of the pandemic. Like, oh, it's all through Zoom. What a crazy concept. Yeah, it'd be a very paranormal activity sort of uh, storyline there to just watch this through... The slack. <laughs> Maybe some uh, new people would listen to our show if it became a, a true crime series. Oh, we don't need new people. No, we're I think, I think okay. we're good with the ones we've got. <laughs> yeah, we're fine. Uh, well, Adam, now that we're back from the bulk of our tour, I think this comes out before our Austin show, right? Right. Now that we're back, it's nice to finally put our feet up. Nice to not constantly have to tell our wives we're going to be out of town this weekend again. <laughs> That got more and more difficult by the week. Yeah. Tell you what, I mean, uh, that was perceptible, the tension (laughs) in the household. (laughs) My dog, uh, I think, was like openly mad at me by the end uh, for for leaving and then coming back. Like, he would be like excited to see me come home, but then he'd be like, all right, you piece of shit. (laughs) My wife is away for the next 10 days on her own work trip. 
really throwing my work trip in my face. <laughs> She's like, how do you like that? And now I'm seeing all the many strange ways Ripley is acting when one of us is gone for a long period of time. Oh. She mostly just posts up by the front door or the door to the garage. Wow. She's waiting for the inevitable return. Well, she's going to be waiting a long time. We're not even a quarter of the way through how long she's going to be away, but <laughs> can you see her back there? She's yeah. uh, back by the door to the garage behind me. I feel like I blinked my eyes and she looks like a grown-up dog. She got big while I was away on tour. <laughs> I came back from tour, Ben. <laughs> And my kids are grown up. You're like, you cycled back from the war. Yeah. <laughs> and everything's a little bit different in your hometown. Drove past all the brown ribbons tied to the tree when Adam <laughs> went off to tour. They symbolize the feats of strength of all the uh, golden brown food we consumed, but also right. another thing. A lot of beige plates on the road, that's yeah. for sure. That's when we could eat it all. That was one of the difficulties that we ran into pretty often. Is yeah. What are we going to eat after the show? How about nothing again? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't all bad on tour, Ben. We got rid of a long-standing thing that we used to do, which was sort of wait around after the show and meet a bunch of the Friends of DeSoto after. We weren't able to do that on this tour, but what ended up happening was Friends of DeSoto still brought us things and sort of set them on the stage yeah. for us to find. Yeah, I remember after we taking left. slugs out of a bottle of strange vodka that was left on stage one night. So I have a few of these objects, and I wondered if you'd be up for kind of a uh, a different kind of mail call, sort of an after-the-tour mail call. I'm into it. Let's see what's in these Code 47s. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a Code 47. Verify. It is Code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain size only. I'm just going to kind of go in order of the things that we received. The first thing is this everything is fucked patch from our buddy Aaron Reynolds, the effing birds guy. Yeah. We ended up having a fun hang with him around the Toronto show, and he gave us a bunch of uh, fun swag from his many creative endeavors. Yeah, I have uh, my everything is fucked patch. It's, a, it's, it's everything is fucked in the style of the red alert graphic that you see in Star Trek. And, right. It uh, would have been our first choice for a Max Fun Drive patch. Probably. <laughs> yeah, if we'd thought ahead of time. But I brought those home and I had my Everything is Fucked patch and my Max Fun Drive novelty sunglasses sitting on the dining room table in our house. Uh, <laughs> and like the day before the Max Fun Drive started, my wife picked them up and she was like, hey, can I throw this crap away? <laughs> I was like, no, I want both of those. <laughs> I don't want this to turn in a wives-be-like and husbands-be-like kind of show, but why is it that I can be asked if I want my shit thrown away, and I could never ask that question in the other direction? <laughs> I may not presume to throw anything away that isn't mine. In my wife's defense, I did leave that stuff just sitting in a common space. It was in you the know, public space. It, it was like, it was on a horizontal surface in her, and, and like a, a table that when she works from home, she often sits at the dining table in our house. So it was definitely an imposition on my part. That's uh, <laughs> not the only patch we got on tour, Ben. We also got uh, these. I don't know if you remember these very cool-looking patches. Oh, yeah. I do not recall who gave these to us. I'm going to describe them. They're sort of oval patches with a C-130 
on the front. Uh, the top line says LC130H, and the bottom line says 139ASNYANG. And I ran this information past one of my buddies who flies militarily. And I was like, hey, what is the story with these? It looks like a cold weather Arctic or Antarctic style image. Yeah. And my buddy actually flies in Antarctica. And he said, yeah, those guys fly the C-130s on skis to the pole. Whoa. And to other places, he said cool. ominously. <laughs> so uh, the Ski-130 is what we got and three patches for us. So Very cool. Pretty neat. And uh, finally, we got a bag with a couple of coins inside and a note. Oh, somehow the one with the money in it didn't make its way into my suitcase. <laughs> Interesting. There are two of these. <laughs> Looks like we've got two coins in each. One coin says Geospatial Intelligence Agency, what? United States of America. Wow, and on the back, United States of America yeah. Intelligence Community. You love learning about another intelligence agency that the United States has, right? No kidding. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to say this. I would rather be a friend to the intelligence community than an enemy. So, <laughs> I mean, so welcome all friends of DeSoto <laughs> intelligence community listeners. Yeah, yeah. Do you think anybody has ever tapped into our Slack conversations and been like, "Hmm, this is interesting. I got to find out how to download whatever podcast these people are recording." No one would ever drop into our Slack and then be moved to listen to our show after. <laughs> that's for sure. There's another coin in here, Ben. This is a lot of confidence in how good your federal building looks. There's sort of a picture oh, wow. of a federal an, building on one side. An embedded photograph in a challenge coin. I've never seen right. that before. And then on the other side, it says, oh, it's the same group, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, United States of America. And the other wow. side is a photograph of the planet Earth. Whoa. Letter goes like this. Dear Adam and Ben, I'm a big fan, first-time caller. Enclosed, please find two challenge coins. Each from the intelligence agency that I work for. Whoa. We work on space imagery and mapping for the Central Intelligence Agency, Defense Intelligence Agency, National Security Agency, National Reconnaissance Office, and the Federal Bureau of Investigations. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. Damn. This guy's a fucking spook. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that with love. <laughs> I wonder if he considers our solar system to be a mappable-ass place or not. <laughs> mappable-ass place. Make that navigation safe. Listen to this, Ben. I love your show, and you never fail to make me laugh and smile at your various antics. I sing along with the drunk Shimoda drop whenever you do it on your show, and I always listen to your shows the day that they drop, being a lifelong trekker. Wow. Fun. There's a few other paragraphs here of personal information, but... Some really nice things being said by a person whose name I will not say. <laughs> I don't want to blow their cover. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's good to have friends in the intelligence community. I mean, two less intelligent podcast hosts could not be found. I actually have something here from a listener. I can't remember who brought this and to what show, but somebody brought us both these stakes that you can put in dirt to reduce your fungus gnat problem. Oh, I, yeah, I got a bag of those, too. I, I need to install them. I have to, like, read up on how to do it, because one of them's shaped like a bird, another one's shaped like a, I don't know, like a flower. Is it one of them shaped like a fucking bird? Because I think I know who gave that to you, so. <laughs> you got mosquito bits in your kit, right? You got, like, yeah. a slightly different kit? 
yeah, different kits for the both of us, but the feeling of gratitude is the same for us both, Ben. I want to, like Mr. Wizard, dunk our show into a vessel of liquid (laughs) and displace a bunch of it Mm, mm. to measure its volume. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 3, Episode 24, Displaced. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. I would have gone Archimedes for that construction, but you know, you do you. Mr. Wizard is cool. <laughs> I'm a dumb. My poll is going to be Mr. Wizard. Not a member of an intelligence agency over here. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> hey, don't bother interrogating those guys. Uh, they really know nothing. <laughs> the men who knew too little. Paris and BLT are uh, finishing up a... Kind of a date, right? Like a, they're doing a wharf workout, but BLT's only doing it because she lost a bet. Lower Decks does such a great job by actually calling something like this a wharf workout, like an in-universe reference to something else. Yeah. But Paris has made the mistake of teaching BLT how to golf. Like you can tell something has gone terribly wrong in the holodeck where he tried to teach her how to swing the bat lift. Uh-huh. Working with a bat lift is an art. You have to use your mind and body. And it did not go well. Is that something that you're not supposed to do? Because we went to a driving range, you and I, recently with a friend to enjoy an afternoon. And I, I've i swung a golf club a few times in my life, but I'm obviously way worse at it than either of you are. And nobody was giving me any tips. There is sort of a rule in golf <laughs> where you do not give unsolicited tips. I, no. asked, I asked if either of you had golf tips for me. I solicited. No, you didn't. I did. I absolutely did. When they first got up there, I said, I am interested if any of you has any golf tips. I won't give you tips, tips, tips. No matter what. You want to know the, the honest truth here, Ben? Both friend of the show and you and I, Chuck Bryant, and I took one look at your golf swing and we were like, we can't help you, man. <laughs> we don't have the knowledge. Fuck. Yeah, Chuck very condescendingly said, you could take a class and that would probably help a lot. Yeah, man, it's it's tough. Well, I, I won one of the games, so. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Joke's on the two of you. <laughs> you did fine without our tips. No tips on golfers, I guess, is the rule we were employing at that mm, moment. Mm. Why do you always have to get so hostile? The last thing you want, if you're having one of these arguments, is to have one of these arguments in public, right? And yeah. this is like right in a corridor. It's an awkward place to be doing it. They're lucky they don't run into a coworker. Who they do run into is a man in a funny hat. He is as confused about being there as BLT and Paris are in seeing him. And we'd ride that vibe into the theme. When we come back, he is confused about being there. He kind of thinks he's been abducted. I feel like that that energy is is really clever because it it immediately puts them on a like, hey man, we'll try and help you out. We'll figure this out uh, footing instead of a who the fuck are you? I'm gonna hit you with this batleth footing. You really do take your cues from the characters in a Star Trek episode about how you approach an alien. Right. Because as soon as this guy popped up on screen, I was like. You're a human in a Shriner's hat. (laughs) What are you doing here? And no one calls him human, even though he's got no loaf. He's got all hat and no loaf, Ben. Nary a loaf. And 
because Paris and BLT and everyone else on the ship never calls him human or describes him as human yeah. at all, like you kind of lose that incredulity throughout the episode. At least I did. This happens a lot in Star Trek where uh, species that arose on another planet look indistinguishable from humans. Like Betazoids, yeah. I guess, have dark eyes, but otherwise human looking. They yeah. encounter, you know, Alien of the Weeks all the time in TOS and TNG especially that mm-hmm. just look human. It happens in Voyager. Why don't you ever see like, hey, these guys look exactly like the Cardassians, but are not? This guy makes himself seem harmless right away. You know how you do that, Ben? Complaining. Mm-hmm. This guy's cold. Things are too bright. Mm-hmm. He's presenting as a real old <laughs> Yes. It takes so long to get this guy's name. Did you notice that? Yeah. We are like 30 minutes in the episode before we get it, and he doesn't even introduce himself. Someone else calls him by his name. Yeah. So they offer to take him to Six Bay, where uh, the doctor looks in on him, and Janeway and Tuvok come down, and they're you know, commiserating with him, like, oh, man, what a scary thing that happened to you. You were walking around, minding your own business. Suddenly you're here. And uh, we're going to try and figure out what happened to you. You know, this could be a phenomenon. It could be technology. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to help you out, little buddy. I like how the interrogation makes Damar describe what it felt like to be transported. Mm -hmm. That was neat. Yeah. Not enough people talk about what it feels like to be beamed somewhere. There was a moment of blackness, and uh, I felt a curious sensation of... Ants! Ants! Interesting. And this guy makes it seem like he was on an episode of Fear Factor, like being dunked in a tank full of bugs. It doesn't sound pleasant at all. If that's what a Federation transporter feels like, they don't make enough of a big deal out yeah. of how gross everybody must think it is. It's awful. It saves a ton of time, so we put up with it, but it is awful. It's like uh, when you catch a bug on you you feel itchy for like the next 10 minutes that should be the first 10 minutes of any away team mission is just like the sense of itchiness uh, that all of the uh, yeah that's not beaming into your best no this guy is basically useless when it comes to figuring out where he's from he's like a lost kid who didn't remember his address right because he's like yeah i, I come from a solar system and it's got <laughs> planets and a star in the middle And that's about all I can remember. And they're like, hmm, doesn't sound familiar. (laughs) (laughs) We've been traveling for three seasons and uh, not ringing a bell. (laughs) Do you have any guys nearby that like to harvest organs? Yeah, exactly. That would have been a great way to narrow it down, like talk about some of the other aliens that they know about, but they don't. They don't know where Kess is either. They quickly realize that this has been a one-for-one kind of situation. He traded places with her. I want to be clear, they didn't trade places in the parent trap kind of scenario. <laughs> like, Damar is still Damar, and Cass is ostensibly Cass just somewhere else. Yeah, Kim and uh, and BLT are working on trying to figure out, like, sensor readings on what happened. But BLT is also working out her shit uh, with regards to Tom Paris as she talks to Harry about uh, the diagnostics they're running. She doesn't like her personality to be mischaracterized by her sort of boyfriend. I have a temper, but that doesn't mean that I'm always hostile. (laughs) No, of course not. 
I deal with the goddamn customers so the engineers don't have to. Garrett Wong's take here is one of my favorite parts of this episode because he holds eye contact with BLT in kind of a pained expression. <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. You're not hostile. <laughs> when BLT goes to another station to continue her work and turns around, Harry is gone. Yeah. As if BLT's eye daggers did it to him. <laughs> <laughs> did you think BLT was involved in the beginning of this episode? Because she's around for both of these disappearances. Oh, I didn't ever get that suspicion. I, I mean, I was suspicious of that first guy immediately. It's interesting how dissimilar this episode is from the TNG episode where Beverly Crusher's universe shrinks. Right. Like, because she's around for all the disappearances, too. Sure. But you you don't get that kind of vibe from the SEP ever. Yeah. I think that part of that is that BLT reacts, but everybody else reacts also. Yeah. And yeah, that's a big part of it. <laughs> and you don't ever get any hint in her performance that she's like putting it on for everybody else's benefit. Like, oh my God, where did Harry Kim go? I guess what also helps too is the pace of the episode really accelerates here too, because we cut around to the ship and people are just flashing out. Yeah everywhere and the Nereans are replacing them including the holodeck resort program like it doesn't matter where you are on the ship yeah the swaps are happening some guys taking a dump <laughs> like beamed off the toilet <laughs> yeah does the does, does the turd go with him or or does that stay caught a hanger sarge that sucks so bad to be beamed away and leaving an unflushed toilet behind. Oh, man. I bet Voyager has an auto-flush toilet situation, right? If they're not beaming the shits out of you, like we've right. long posited would... is a thing in Star Trek. It's like the uh, the airport where if you like lean yeah. forward to get the toilet paper, it flushes and then splashes water against your butt. And you're like, God damn it. You can't, you can't flush a toilet enough for me at a public restroom. Like, it should be like a fountain at an outside mall. <laughs> Keep the water moving. The guy that shows up in Neelix's horny beach getaway holodeck program really highlighted to me how conservative the Nereans seem to be. Like, he comes around the corner in his very dour robe and hat combo to a couple of bikini babes that are making bedroom eyes at him. And, you know, he is maintaining the ruse that he is disoriented and unaware of what's going on these babes are into some hat play for sure <laughs> only this guy just isn't down yeah tuvok is one of the people that disappears pretty quickly yeah and that's a big one too because he's your security guy right and uh and, and the person who would be tactically leading the charge on deciding how to treat this situation there's a mclaughlin group issue one convened where Chakotay gives the crew and us the metrics of this thing, right? Yeah. After three hours, they've exchanged 22 people in a non-consensual exchange program with the Nereans. And this is a rate of exchange that is not sustainable. Tom Paris asks a question in this McLaughlin group that really delighted me. He asks, Could it have been some kind of spatial anomaly? Which is really just the functional equivalent of asking, is this an episode of Star Trek or... Right. It could have been anything. Because they don't know how these transfers are taking place. But isn't it interesting how they're getting their information, though? The Nereans that have come over in the swap are telling them about the Voyager crew that's appearing on their side. Right. Yeah. 
and uh, Janeway gets tiki torches and distributes them to the senior staff and says, the Nereids will not replace us. And she gets a, a whole march going, and it's really upsetting. I was so fascinated by Janeway's attitude from Jump about this. I feel like you could see her being someone who brings out the welcome wagon diplomatically. Yeah. Yeah. And she goes dark this episode, big time. She really does. She suspects something awful is afoot something, from Jump. Something real weird about this. There's coffee in that knot in my stomach since the first Nereon arrived. It's really frustrating because no one has any answers. They're just watching people get swapped. They're down to a very small number of crew members at this point. Pretty much everybody that isn't just keeping the ship running has been retasked to security and like corralling the Nereans into cargo bays and shuttle bays and stuff. And Janeway and Chicote go down to uh, engineering where BLT has come up with the idea that maybe this is like a wormhole that's intermittently opening inside Voyager, like a baby wormhole. Yeah. If a wormhole could stick to a ship while it was transiting and like be dragged. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't really answer the question of, like, why would it be just, like, swapping one for one? Yeah. Uh, and as they're discussing this, uh, Janeway blips out of existence. And almost concurrently with this, Neelix is calling her, trying to tell her some interesting information, because he's been talking to a scientist among the Nereans who might have some light to shed on this situation. I really love the order of people that get taken yeah because it does not suggest some foul play like if you wanted to take over a ship the way the nereans are revealed to do later right and you were to start with the captain you'd immediately think this is something bad someone is attacking us shields up like that whole thing but because the disappearances are so random yeah it really keeps the voyager crew off the scent until the last possible moment taking Kess first was just perfect misdirection. <laughs> yeah. Because at that point, who cares? <laughs> Maybe she went over there and freshened him up. <laughs> so they uh, make contact with Dr. Rislin in the cargo bay, which is sort of looking like a refugee colony at this point. And he also is complaining about how cold it is in there, but they've got the lights turned down. So at least that's good. Yeah. But he also says that the air is too humid. Come on, man. <laughs> Look, I mean, you can turn down a thermostat, but what are you supposed to do about the humidity? Just take your clothes off and enjoy the sauna. Meanwhile, up on the bridge, a young ensign is working with Chicote, and they are like the only two people left to do bridge duty. She's been like field promoted into chief of security. It's everything I dreamed of, sir. I love this woman, and I love Chicote's conspicuous dustbuster here. Yeah. Like, they didn't start wearing weapons until this moment, until they're down to their last 40 crew people. I kind of wished that everybody had been armed, because like, like, there are Voyager crew members that you see in the next couple of scenes that, that don't have the, the Dustbuster on them. But like what they're talking about in this scene is like we gotta like he like we're not sure that this is an attack, but we need to hedge for that possibility. So throw up force fields around the warp core, around the weapons locker, anything sensitive on the ship. The Nereans can't use. It sure seems like that should be step one, right? As soon as you're boarded in a way yeah. that you don't approve of, you got to start hardening your targets. They've had three hours. <laughs> it seems they're like they're one step behind yeah. the entire episode. 
The uh, Nerian doctor is working with BLT down in engineering, and uh, there's also one security guy down there with him. And she's like, this is no wormhole. This is not a natural phenomenon. And the second she comes up with this, the doctor guy beats up her security detail, gets the phaser. Turns out it's an attack. We are under attack. This poor guy really gets clobbered. You got to keep your head on a swivel when you're the security guy detailed to engineering with the, with the stranger that's beamed aboard your ship. Hey, random security guy. You're in engineering with two other people, and one of them is a crew person. So maybe have your attention in the right spot. What are you doing? Moving you to the head of the line. BLT gets beamed over, and we finally see where everybody's been going. And it's kind of your classic Star Trek courtyard. A lot of nice plant life. The sort of place where if you trampled some foliage, you'd get the death sentence. Right, yeah. Except for uh, these people are not rocking any knuck. No, not at all. They're rocking hats. BLT is like, Captain, it's actually an attack. And Captain Janeway's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Look at these guys. They got rifles. Did you notice the audio of these scenes? Like, you get the birds chirping as soon as you're in this biosphere area in a way that I thought really pulled the whole charade together to me. Yeah, It was nice. Why not just enjoy it for what it is? Yeah, that's really the question, right? Yeah. Back on Voyager, they're down to their last 12, and they get a radio call from engineering, like, after Rizlan's fist fight. Yeah. And Chakotay decides to go down there personally to get some answers. Dustbuster out. Yeah. Chakotay is fucking pissed. He's not going to just radio up. And when he goes down to the cargo bay, he discovers that all of the Nerians have uh, departed the cargo bay, so... He's basically ordering the ship to go on lockdown. and I love how the cargo bay just looks like a trashed hotel room with pillows everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't even leave 20 bucks out, you know. Come on, guys. Tip the housekeeping. Whether or not you've strewn your pillows all about or whether or not you've kept your hotel room tight, 20 bucks. 20 bucks. You got to do it. 20 bucks. We finally catch up with that first Nerian guy again. And he's, like, barking orders at his weird-hatted buddies, you know, taking control of weapon systems and engineering. Could you figure out whether or not the hats or the tunics meant rank in any way? I could not distinguish one Nerian from any other in that way, other than the original one, the Damar guy. Yeah, he's, he's got a different color, so maybe. Yeah, maybe it's like Starfleet, where the color indicates something. It didn't really look like military uniforms, though. No, it sure didn't. Up on the bridge, uh, there's just three Starfleets left, but most of them don't have guns. Only the lady that uh, was working with Chakotay has a gun. The others kind of look like it may be their first day on the job. (laughs) God, Ensign Lang goes down shooting, which I love. Yeah, but like the lady standing next to her is like, what's going on in here? Should I grab for the gun or should I? I don't know what to do. Not all ensigns are built the same, are they? If I'm doing like an after-mission report here, (laughs) I think Ensign Lang distinguishes herself, and all other ensigns fucking suck. Ensign Lang should get a promotion. And the red shirt next to her maybe gets left at the next port of call that they pull into. (laughs) In engineering, it's the same scene. They're just overrun by the sheer numbers, right? There's too many of them to shoot. Yeah, and the Nerians are just, like, snatching this ship. They, they're, yeah. like, decrypting the 
protocols and stuff, like it's starting to look like Chakotay and his uh, buddy Ensign Gennaro are going to have to go to guerrilla war status and starship mine this thing. So he's like, all right, we're just going to start sabotaging the ship, making it useless to them, make them regret having done this. Kind of like what I hope by the time this episode is released will have happened to Twitter. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Would be great. I can't think of the Gennaro name without thinking of Bruce Willis's ex-wife's name from Die Hard, right? Because it's like also sort of a Die Hard scenario, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. How weird is that? That had to be intentional. I think it's got to be an homage. Yeah. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Gennaro's gone pretty quickly, so it's it's just Chakotay, and uh, he's like running around the ship, like pulling EPS stuff out and like disabling systems and really fucking things up and making life difficult for the Nereans. When you do an improvised Starship demo, <laughs> you're gonna want to open up any panel you see and grab a fistful of conduit. Just start ripping. When it's an EPS conduit, you don't even need to shut it down at the breaker box. You can just rip <laughs> it right out with your bare hands for some reason. <laughs> I love the shot of the warp core going dark. Yeah. Uh, that's really cool. Chicote needs to get to Six Bay, though, because he is worried that they're shutting the doctor down and deleting his program. I would not have thought to do this if I were him. Yeah. But it is a life-saving measure that he's taking. It is, yeah. And he gets the dock loaded onto the mobile emitter, which mm-hmm. has its own like wireless charging pad, which <laughs> I like seeing. Yeah. The dock helps by knocking out one of the Nereans right before they both beam away. Chakotay does that thing where he like slyly puts the the mobile emitter in his pocket like a like a kid stealing a candy bar from a convenience store. Good stuff. So he grabs the mobile emitter at the last possible moment when the Nereans pour through the door and they beam him out of there, but uh, not before he basically trashed the ship. <laughs> I definitely wanted a scene in this when they get back to have BLT just be like, Chicote, what the fuck, man? <laughs> and then we're back like a bug in a jar, back in their environment where they're all being held captive. And we learn a little bit more about this. Like the doctor is very like disoriented because he's totally disconnected from the ship, which has never happened to him before. Uh, everybody from the ship is, like, not all in the same place together. Tuvok describes them as being distributed among ten different compounds. It's Janeway that actually suspects that this is a hollow, Mm. and she's like, this is a little too familiar to me, because in my hollow programs, I too am surrounded by giant trunks. (laughs) 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 Unable to break free. (laughs) They're like, yeah... this is pretty ideal. <laughs> this Nerian lady comes in with a uh, security detail and uh, sort of describes the whole plot. Here's w- what our species is and what we do. So we've taken your ship uh, <laughs> by doing this prolonged swapping process. And uh, it's a total bloodless takeover here that we've done. The upside is... Uh, you're going to sit on this patio for the rest of your lives eating the replicated food we've made you. And that's it. Yeah. That's the whole thing. We have a lot more replicator power than your piece of shit starship. So 
That's good. Everyone is super psyched about being there. <laughs> no Neelix in this episode to feel bad about everybody being excited right. about their new worst situation Yeah, from a food standpoint. I love the umbrage that Talene takes about their insufficient gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> we even downloaded your cultural database, so you got plenty of entertainment. What are yeah. you complaining about, bub? Come on. <laughs> this is great for you. Yeah. So she takes her leave. They're talking about how are we going to get out of this one? Like, they got our ship. We're all locked up. They've also talked a little bit about the idea that they may be in a hologram. And this is confirmed when they see kind of a shimmery disturbance in some of the foliage. And out of it walks Jarleth, a loafy neighbor from the adjoining simulation. And Jarleth knows that you can get from one simulation to another through this invisible door. And is really excited to meet them and uh, potentially do some trading because the species that was in here before didn't have any concept of a barter system in their culture. Did you get Jarlis deal at all? Like, I suspected mole from him, but he wasn't the mole. No. He was just a fucking guy. I wanted to see, like, Jarlis's environment, you know? So did I, yeah. I wanted somebody to go back through with Jarlis and see what's going on over there. He also had, like, a suspicious amount of kindness, about yeah. him like i never trusted him from the start that might be the seattle in you though like the <laughs> yeah. like new neighbor in a lot of other places means like you go over and introduce Fair. yourself you know i would never do that you're right <laughs> blt's working on the emh's hollow emitter and he's kind of turning doc holiday into a visor yeah, he am become scanning device and mm-hmm. uh he's like looking around they show his pov as like sort of everything is glowing, maybe he'll be able to detect breaks in the hollow matrix so that they can find a way out of here. Yeah, I've seen a lot of tracers. Paris comes over to hang out with her while she's doing this, and they sort of make up after their somewhat combative initial scene together. But then it devolves again. Yeah. They make up and then they break up. I kind of feel like this is the doc being a bad couples therapist because he's sitting there like interjecting as they (laughs) they interact about this. They need to tell the doc to shut the fuck up. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, that always works well, telling your couples (laughs) therapist to cram it. (laughs) But is he their therapist? No. He's just inviting himself into the conversation. It's like when you go out to dinner with friends and they have a fight in front of you. It's like, should I like interject here or what do you do will they or won't they this paris and blt thing Mm. i don't know i thought they had this batleth thing behind them guess not and this looks like it's a pretty definitive breakup here at the end like paris doesn't even want to be friends with her anymore it's too much hassle too much trouble Yeah. yeah tuvok meanwhile is magrubering some guns together i don't use guns guns are for the weak guns are for the stupid no offense Neelix is procuring equipment, and Tuvok and Chakotay are sitting there while Tuvok, like, clips them all together to to make phasers for, for them. Is it too much to ask, when making a weapon out of food dispenser parts, for that weapon to shoot food? <laughs> I know the answer to that question. It is. But my God, Ben, how fun would it be if they got this thing going and it just shot hot dogs at people? <laughs> If it shot an unlimited party sub at people, like it just keeps shooting more and more sandwich. (laughs) 
if it were a literal potato gun, how wow. great would that be? That would be fun. Give me that. I also could have gone for a member of the crew being sad that Neelix is de- disassembling the food replicator, going like, fuck, we were yeah. enjoying this food. This is the first good food we've had in like three years, Neelix. Why are you taking this apart? Hey, check it out. We've disassembled the only thing we can use to trade with Jarleth. <laughs> you think we're going to like eating that guy's food? Look at him. There's no way we're going to like the palatability of that guy's food. That guy probably eats like crickets and stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Jarleth eats nothing but chapelines. <laughs> and they're good as a snack, but you can't survive on those alone. No, no. They're a great source of protein, but no dietary fiber. Come on! <laughs> the days go by, and they just keep getting constipated and constipated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You said that the previous occupants of this s- simulation died of a plague. I think they yeah. died of something else, Jarla. <laughs> <laughs> Tuvok takes this opportunity to brag about how prepared he was for a moment like this. Like... When you're on Vulcan, you're made to walk the desert for months with nothing but a knife as training for being out in the universe. And he really throws this in the Starfleet's face. Like, your survival training was like a week in a forest. That is nothing. That shit was easy to me. Yeah. (laughs) I've got to get that platinum, get that low-metal argument. (laughs) One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. 
but do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up, the episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that. Latin or not? Are you planning a heist? Gold. They find an exit. And the away team that goes through it, kind of a surprising group of people, I would say. Jarlith, the most surprising part, I thought. It was weird to me that Chakotay didn't go through. I really thought yeah. that this was being set up to be like a Chakotay saves the day episode. And yep. this episode is a real ensemble piece. I don't think it's really any one character's episode in that way. Right. Uh, unless it's Jarlith's, you know. Maybe it's Jarlith's <laughs> episode. I don't think we're supposed to be in here. I mean, and this was another suspicious action by him, too. Like, because it's Paris and BLT and for some reason Jarlith, and they're turning their backs on him? I was ready for the backstab here. Yeah, because they're like in, they're in creepy tunnels with their MacGruber guns. I don't use guns. They're splitting up. Yeah. Jarlith is talking a lot of shit about not wanting to break the rules. They're like, shut up, Jarlith. Fucking idiot. Yeah. They finally find a panel with a button, and you got to hit the button to the panel, Ben. You, you got to see what's behind this door. Yeah. And when the door opens, we see a beautiful rainforest scene. Yeah. And another button opens another door, and it's like a post-apocalyptic Baywatch scene. <laughs> and BLT describes this place as like a, a variety of biospheres to suit all tastes. Different environment behind every door, different type of leaf and stick in every jar. You don't get to see the Jarlith door, but you see the reaction to the Jarlith door, and it is horrifying. Yeah. Like, I've never seen a, an expression like this on BLT's face before, sort of a, a combination of nausea and, like, hysterical crying. She's like, and they're only eating Chapolinas? <laughs> it's like raining Chapolinas <laughs> in Jarlith's biosphere. <laughs> So they're kind of getting the grand tour of all the different sticks and leaves in jars while Tuvok and Janeway find a big computer system. And initially, Janeway is like, I don't know, like this, like their written language, like what use is this to us? And Tuvok's like, well, they downloaded our cultural database, so you might be able to find a way to translate it, mm -hmm. which... Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a friend play the prank on you of like changing your phone's operating system language into a alphabet you don't understand it's very hard to get back to english when that happens i don't want to victim blame you too hard ben but i don't know why you're handing your phone to people 
That's how you get your tax documents looked at. I think the last time this happened to me, I was in high school and I had a black and white screen on my phone. So the tax oh, documents yeah. weren't... This is the razor phone era. That exciting. Yeah. <laughs> in those days. Look at what Ben's into. Look at these. Oh, man. Zeros and ones. Sick. <laughs> it's an open parentheses, a space, a period, a close parentheses, and then they did that one more time. Nice. <laughs> Fucking shoot. It isn't long before they realize they're on a ship, Ben. This isn't a planet full of biospheres. It's a ship full of biospheres. It's a big, long ship, and it's got thousands of people aboard. There are different species. These Nereans have been at this for a long time. But they can't just go through the computer all willy-nilly without setting off the alarm, Yeah, which they do in short order. Yeah, red lights flashing transcend cultures. Transcend quadrants. That means you set an alarm off. We cut to the bridge of the Voyager where the doctor, that scientist guy, was it Dr. Rieslan? Damar. Is it Damar? Oh, yeah. Rieslan is the the doctor. Damar is sort of the leader. Wow. Over there. And uh, Damar is just slugging back Kanar. Afternoon, everybody. Damar! Right? He's having a bad time. But they get the message from that lady that welcomed them aboard, that she's uh, dealing with some jailbreak scenarios. And they're like, all right, well, we're not normally a violent people, but if you need to start cutting heads off to uh, get the situation under control, you have permission. I thought it was really interesting how the Nereans and specifically Damar were shot, especially on the bridge. Mm. Like you look at these guys, there's nothing particularly threatening about them. Those hats are like the opposite of threatening. But the lower you place the camera and the higher you shoot up at them, you're making them into an imposing figure that they wouldn't be ordinarily. And you get this a lot in this episode with Damar especially. Like, they make him look very tall. They really do. In pretty short order, Jarleth gets captured by some heavily armed Nereans. Does he get captured or does he give himself over? I mean, he's this not guy like, fucking sucks. He's not moving very tactically, and he also yeah. snitches the hell out of them. Like, yeah, he's such a filthy fucking snitch. The second he gets caught, he's like, "It was their idea. I didn't want to do it." They uh, went around that corner. All of them. You had a great observation earlier about like where is Neelix this episode? I don't think you can have him in this episode a bunch because Jarlath is a real Neelix type. Yeah, he's really giving Neelix energy, isn't he? Yeah. Surprised he didn't invite himself aboard to become their chef. Yeah, all he makes is chapelinis. <laughs> I didn't think it could be worse, but it's worse. <laughs> it is so much worse than Leoluroot. You have no idea. <laughs> so the captain and Tuvok have found another control room where they're trying to figure out how to use the Nerian transporter system. There's only two settings, Tuvok. <laughs> <laughs> Nerian and Farian. <laughs> Meanwhile, BLT and Paris are getting in like hallway fights with their crappy phaser, which is like running low on juice. On literal juice? <laughs> <laughs> Just pulpy orange juice being shot all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Nerians are like, ah, oh, we hate the pulpy kind. We want the no pulp kind. Just blow up the season budget on the food gun, guys. That would have been great. I know we've got a season finale coming up, but everyone would remember Displaced for the food gun. Resetting these hallway sets after you shoot, like, ropes of 
spaghetti <laughs> out of the front of this gun <laughs> that hits the walls and stuff would be a real pain in the ass. Oh, God. <laughs> Just try to keep a straight face as an actor, as like hundreds of rounds of gnocchi <laughs> get shot at the Nereans. <laughs> you know what? These are soft, but enough of them hit you at speed. They also really hurt. Yeah. <laughs> So they get a great idea, which is go into the coldest environment. And yeah. Because they know that the Nereans love a nice warm ship with low humidity and lo- low light. So mm-hmm. bright and cold is a great option for them. They run in. The lady in charge orders her men to follow them. And we cut back up to the control room where Tuvok and the captain are working on the displacement technology that the Nereans use. And Tuvok describes that it has a huge range. It's a 10 light year radius that it can work on, but that limits its capacity. Yeah, this is not going to be something they can use to transport the ship. They can't flood the zone with security officers, which is Starfleet (laughs) practice. Uh, (laughs) Would be great. I mean, this is an interesting flip of that script, though, that the Nereans are doing, just slowly beaming in a bunch of security officers. Yeah, yeah. It's like the the Tetris effect of security, where it's not happening fast, but it's relentless. And then you're just falling asleep with that soundtrack in your head. So they completely painted the Star Trek caves white for the scenes where Paris and BLT are running from these Nerean security guys. I love this. Why haven't they done this before? I think the answer is evident. They've only done this once because it's got to be a pain in the ass to hose off. Yeah, yeah, it must be. Do you think they're using just a bunch of that spray... Flocking? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like you you put in the corners of the window of your coffee shop around the holidays? (laughs) Yeah, it looks like BLT and Paris are shivering, but they're actually recoiling from the fumes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, maybe that's what's going on, is that uh, it's just off-gassing, and they don't like doing it to the actors. (laughs) The caves have never been more flammable than they are in this moment. Yeah, nobody smoke on set today. Yeah. They're trying to take cover. BLT is really suffering in the cold. Uh, She explains to Paris that uh, Klingons actually hate cold weather. I buy this. Yeah. You go to Kronos and you see uh, all the lava. Basically, they have open lava sewers Yeah, running through their cities. But Borath is cold as hell. You're right. But they, but they stay inside in Borath. You're just a different breed on Borath, I bet. It's, it's like a... What about Ruripente? They fucking hate it there. I bet it works a lot like it does for people. Like, you move from a cold-weather place to a warm-weather place, you get used to it, you get acclimated. And then you're just weak when you go back to a cold-weather place. Yeah. They get caught by one of the Nereans who, like, literally freezes to death in front of them. This doesn't seem like it would work on the page, but in the scene, it really does. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. You don't think this is on the line when Talene orders her people into the caves? Like, there's some mild resistance about going in, but at the time I was like, well, yeah, it's just going to be uncomfortable. But death is on the line for for Talene's henches. I mean, talk about dedication to your job, right? And they phaser one other guy, but this seems like it was tactically a really great idea by them. Yeah. Paris has a scene with BLT where... He blows on her hands. Yeah. And you got to be careful, Paris. That's how Vulcans get pregnant. <laughs> Mess around with that finger stuff. It's a good thing she's not Vulcan, I guess. 
so uh, back up in the control room, the captain and Tuvok see what has happened with BLT in Paris, and they realize that they're going to be in big trouble. Like, they're not going to freeze quite as fast as Anirian, but they're in negative 20 degrees Celsius weather, and they're working out an idea for saving them when Voyager comes back within range. And now we've got some real potential here. We can test our ability to use this displacement thing while also uh, preparing to retake the ship. They keep cutting back to Tuvok and Janeway to advance their part of the story, and I kind of wish they didn't because every time we we get a follow-up from them, like, nothing else has happened. Yeah. Their part of it is unfolding so slowly. Well, and also, like, if you stayed with Tom and Bolana, like, the desperation of that would feel bigger and bigger the longer yeah. it took for them to cut away. Yeah. Um, like, she is really on her last legs when they finally do their displacement back to the ideal environment of the Federation habitat. If you had a food gun in a super cold environment and you had to make a hot food to keep yourself warm, what do you think you'd make? Maybe like shoot some French onion soup right in my mouth. Ooh, but no, that would burn, right? Because yeah, you'd get that, you'd get the Gruyere like melted against the roof of your mouth, and you'd be like, ow, 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 ow. You know what? You might be onto something with the melted cheese. Like if you shot a food gun at someone with melty cheese, but it wasn't like volcanic melt. It was like American cheese melt, uh-huh. where like it's a very <laughs> low temperature melt. Yeah. You could kind of insulate them in a wetsuit of oh, cheese yeah. in a way that would probably keep you warm in a cold environment like this. That's a great idea. I don't know why I never thought of it before. And then you got to turn the, the food gun on yourself. Mm-hmm. So the next people to get displaced are Dr. Reislin and Damar, and Janeway beams them right into the frozen environment where they immediately are uh, shivering and and very uncomfortable and this is the position they are in when Janeway starts to negotiate with them about what's going to happen and what she basically wants is unconditional surrender by the Nereans. I love her use of cold as a weapon yeah and as a timeline also Right, because they don't know their way out. They like they yeah. they don't go in here, so they don't know their their way around. So if she just left them, they wouldn't really have a chance, right? And they can't depend on Jarlath to save them either. No, Jarlath is probably in solitary at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. So the Nereans take the L. Voyager gets repopulated with its original crew, and. The Nereans are, like, locked up on their own ship, and I feel like one thing that they don't make enough of at the end of this is, like, there are, I think they said 90 species on board this ship that are non-Nerean. This is a crazy part of this episode is, like, that's part of the project that Janeway presents to the Nereans. Like, not only are we imprisoning you, we're going to do it for as long as it takes to resettle all of these alien people back on their respective worlds. Yeah. like they'll, There's they'll, like 10 episodes of that that we don't see of them just Yeah. I kind of got the sense that when they left, they'd sort of left that project in the hands of the liberated aliens. But I also feel like they should be good with species they encounter for a long time going forward because like how much goodwill did they just generate? If the rest of the population is anything like Jarlath, I would not want to delegate any tasks to him. <laughs> you got to do better than Jarlath. Yeah, I guess so. 
The button on the episode is the crew having gotten the ship back. And on the Hollow Resort, BLT finds Paris, and it's a little awkward from their time, fighting and making up and fighting and making up over and over again. And fighting alongside and blowing on each other's hands. There was the incident of the hand blowing. Yeah. yeah. That'll thaw any relationship. I really like this moment because they make up without a bunch of words getting in the way. It's a kind of makeup that couples get into after they've been together for a long period of time, right? The sort of unspoken makeup. Yeah. Their relationship has a certain amount of makeup precociousness that (laughs) is uncharacteristic of a relationship this young. It makes me think they're going to be all right. Yeah. But is this episode all right to you, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. I'm Mr. I really liked this episode. This was not anything super groundbreaking in terms of big ideas about the future or anything, but it was yeah. a fun adventure. I thought it was really well told. It felt like it had like more acts than your typical episode of television this length. Like mm-hmm. It went through so many different discrete phases of telling this story. You know, like the Chakotay guerrilla warfare part, the we're confused about these people showing up here part, the now we're stuck here part, and it's totally hopeless. There were so many different parts like that, and yet it didn't have the problem that I sometimes have, especially with early season episodes of Discovery, where so much shit goes on in one episode that I'm just like, that was like, I have to watch that like three times to like totally absorb Mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was I, I thought it was some good, clean fun, and I think the Nereans are a very interesting villain species. Yeah, I think I'm with you, like, with that qualifier, right? I like it for what it was. Yeah. And what it was felt like it was an episode kind of connected to a science fiction plot wheel, and you just, like, give it a spin. Right. And we've got Alien Prisoner Biosphere episode right and the mystery around that and this is like star trek is a place right we're just going to tell that story in the star trek world and get into that kind of fun but and it and it does what it sets out to do very well in a weird way it's also like really forgettable like i wonder even the voyager super fans would they remember this episode specifically i don't know i mean very bodily like that a lot of bottle episodes in season three it feels like true but i feel like season three has been quite strong overall yeah. so far. So. Yeah, maybe even stronger for it. Well, Adam, do you want to see if there's anything strong for us to absorb in the Priority One inbox? Oh, geez. You make it sound like we're going to be uh, injecting these into our veins. Yeah, we're going to slam them. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Well, Adam, our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature. It goes like this. G-Y-M Jim Shimoda on Facebook. That's it. That's the P1. That's it. That's the P1. The call to action is just, it's a message from Kim Zadi and crew. So, uh, G-Y-M Shimoda, Jim Shimoda. So Jim Shimoda. Facebook may be losing ground as the most toxic social network company. 
Yeah, guess who's making gains? <laughs> Facebook. And specifically the Jim Shimoda community. Yeah. Keeping maybe, track of those gains. Maybe we should have stuck with Facebook the whole time. Who knows? But uh, How about that? Jim yeah. Shimoda stuck with Facebook, and they want you to join their ranks. Get involved. Jim Shimoda. What a cool community of folks. Yeah, I mean, all we hear about the Jim Shimoda folks is what a positive community of encouragement they are. Yeah. About just overall health. Non-toxic and cool. Ben, our second priority one message is from Kevin, and it's to Mike. The message goes like this. Happy 40th birthday to my favorite brother. Now we're both old. Hopefully wow. you'll never have to do to me what Worf did to Kern. <laughs> Maybe Adam and Ben will do a live show in Buffalo one day, and we can meet up and go together. Hope you have a great day with Mary, Archer, and Ronan. Hey. Pretty close to the requested date here of May 20th. Yeah, not too bad. In this happy birthday message. Boy, turning 40. Me and our buddy Chuck were just talking about how things just really fall apart after 40, Ben. Hmm. I wouldn't know. Savor your 30s while you still have them. Yeah, I still got plenty of time. Sure do. <laughs> yeah. Adam, our final P1 today is from Gabe, and it is to the crew of Starbase 69. Abby, Kate, Kate, that's Kate with a C and Kate with a K, Oliver, Mm -hmm. and new recruit Amanda. It goes like this. When I joined Jim Shimoda, that's G-Y-M Shimoda, Hmm? shout out to Kim Zadi, 20 years ago, I had no idea I'd meet the best friends of DeSoto I could possibly ask for. Y'all really helped keep me sane over the past few years with the pandemic and having to be away from she who is my wife and the brain cancer diagnosis. Cheers to you and Ben and Adam for making it possible. Jeez, talk about a heavy lift. That seriously is. That's super tough, Gabe. Really glad that Jim Shimoda was there for you in a dark time and hope things are going better. Also... Did you join Jim Shimoda 20 years ago? Because if you did, we're late to the game. Yeah, no kidding. Was that supposed to be two years ago? And there's like a typographical zero? It wouldn't surprise me at all if an original viewer of TNG saw Jim Shimoda, came up with the idea of GYM Shimoda all those years ago Yeah. when TNG was in its first run and already constructed this group. Yeah, I don't waiting think, to be found. I don't think we have said anything particularly original in our entire Star Trek podcasting career. So it's why the intelligence community listens to us as a <laughs> way to fall asleep at night. <laughs> well, if you'd like to get a priority one message on the program, we would sure appreciate you doing it, and it's doable by going to maximumfun.org/jumbotron. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I sort of tipped my Shimoda hand earlier hmm. by loving all on Ensign Lang. Ensign Lang rules. <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever see her again, but you get the angle on her early on as like the last remaining one with Chakotay, and I'm like, good for you, Ensign Lang. Yeah. Moving on up. Like, it's not failing upwards, it's just people got taken off the ship upwards. Right, right. That's some upward mobility she's got. But boy, she jerks out her phaser just a little too late Yeah, to take out all the Nereans and get shot herself in the process. Just like, if you're an actor and you're guesting on an episode, she really got to do all the things. She really did. And I found it very aspirational. So it's going to be Ensign Lang for me. What about you, Ben? 
Ishimoto's standing right next to Ensign Lang in that moment. It's the red shirt lady who did not think to put a dustbuster on her belt when... Gotta do better than that. <laughs> her ship was getting taken over and yeah. just looks like she she totally skipped the day at Starfleet Academy where they train you to repel a an invasion of your starship. <laughs> She's lucky that no one really saw that. Yeah. Like, everyone's either distracted or gone. Right. So... <laughs> She's probably going to be okay when the crew rejoins the ship. She's also lucky that the Iridians were firing phasers set to stun, you know. Right. Really lucked out. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Well, Ben, let's see how our luck is over at the game of Buttholes. The will of the caretaker. It's been so long. I'm looking at our runabout. It's, It's throbbing on square 39. Wow. Looks like smooth sailing up ahead. I don't think we can hit anything with this dice roll. What's the episode going to be about? Well, Adam, the episode next week is called Worst Case Scenario, Season 3, Episode 25, and it's described as follows. A hollow novel is discovered in the computer banks in which Chakotay raises a Maquis mutiny on Voyager. Then, when Paris and Tuvok discover that the program has been altered... They and the Voyager crew must race to stay one step ahead of a holographic Seska. What? <laughs> Sounds great. Seska? Yeah, she's back. She's hard to stay one step ahead of, I'll say. Yeah, no kidding. I bet Chakotay thought that she'd stay one step ahead of him in one specific <laughs> way, but he ended up <laughs> busting one step ahead of her. <laughs> and everything went to hell. Yeah, no kidding. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone, my friend. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. As you mentioned, we're on square 39. Can't hit anything, I don't believe. But uh, we'll see how far ahead we get based on this roll. Wow, I rolled a five. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. So we're now on square 44 of the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker. Just ahead is a Coco no-no. You still owe the people a Coco no-no by many accounts, Adam. Oh, you think so? Many people are saying. There's a whole poll on Reddit. That's why I didn't see it. Big, big majority says that you're pouring champagne into a coconut. Didn't count. If you had put a splash of rum in that coconut at the very end, you would have been off the hook, according to some. Yeah, I'd have to go to Reddit to read that poll. I haven't been to Reddit in a long time. Hmm. I'm, I'm just going to have to trust you that that's what the poll says. Are you lying? I'll screenshot the poll if you want. I'm not going to screenshot any of the rest of it. A lot of, uh, lot of upsetting stuff on Reddit, too. I'm not sure I want you sending me any pictures of a poll. <laughs> In any be way. too much like uh, Catherine Janeway sharing a page of her hollow novel with you. Be a little too much like that scene from Succession. <laughs> Jesus. I have not seen that scene from Succession. Didn't care for the program. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. You don't like popular things generally. I like Severance. No dick pics in Severance, though. Sadly not. Would <laughs> love to see what kind of hog Adam Scott is working on. Wow. Well, uh, we have got to thank all of the friends of DeSoto who supported us throughout the Max Fun Drive, which ended last week. We really appreciate it. It means that we can continue doing this show for another year, hopefully at least. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we're recording this during, so we don't know any final numbers as of this record, but uh, maybe you listening already know something that we don't. 
I mean, the intelligence community would say that that is <laughs> almost a certainty. Hey, we got to thank Wendy Pretty, the producer and editor extraordinaire, holding things down at Uxbridge Shimoda HQ. Yeah. Hey, let's thank Nick Dittmore, the guy that made the artwork for this show, helps us out with the design. We don't thank Nick Dittmore enough. We don't. Guy deserves a lot of credit. We got to thank Adam Ragusia, the guy that made the music for this program. We got to hang out with him at the Atlanta show that we yeah, did that was big fun. on the Double Dumbass Tour. World's stinkiest green room. You know you're with a good buddy if they're willing to hang out with you in a stinky green room. And that's Adam Ragusia right there. That show was at a brewery, and I think that we were in, like, what is normally, like, beer-making supply room that had, yeah. had been, like, recently redone as green room. <laughs> beer-making supplies smell bad. It's amazing that you can be in a room that makes Atlanta feel more humid. But that was the green room. <laughs> That's what we had. Adam Ragusia, great podcaster, great YouTuber. Also based his work for this show off of that of Dark Materia, who we really appreciate for the use of the card song. Hey, need to thank Bill Tilly, who really uh, kept things fun throughout the Max Fun Drive. He's the one who posts on the At Greatest Trek Twitter and Instagram feeds, always keeping them a delight day in and day out. He works extra hard to make the community fun and to bring the people together, and we really appreciate him too. We do. Join a community of Friends of DeSoto, the aforementioned Jim Shimoda on Facebook, or the regular Facebook group. There's Jim Sock Shimoda, the group of masturbation enthusiasts. (laughs) There's Sock Puppet Shimoda, the group of enthusiasts for politicians that secretly represent foreign governments. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, there's uh, the DrunkShimoda.com Discord. Pretty oh, much yeah. any any rock you can turn over on the internet has a bunch of fun Friends of DeSoto underneath it. <laughs> yeah, definitely want to compare the Friends of DeSoto to scurrying insects. <laughs> I mean, uh, when you when you go through a transporter, it feels like you got Friends of DeSoto all over your beardy. Oh yeah. You know what? That that might feel pretty good. Yeah, I can see that being real nice. Yeah. Uh, well, with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of the greatest generation Voyager that feels like something is off, but you just can't put your finger on what. Make it so. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.